Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 tonight. <clears throat> talking about the heart on Sunday nights. And tonight, because of Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about a heart of love. A heart of love. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> We have a busy week, which means we need more prayer. We're looking forward to a great week. Seniors on Tuesday, of course, uh, 9.30, you'll meet for teenagers. Uh, seniors coffee hour instead of 10 o'clock is your normal time. 9 o'clock for refreshments, all right? You'll have some coffee and your, your muffins and cake and things that you have. And then at 10 o'clock, there'll be an officer here to share with you fraud prevention and identity theft. And so how to prevent those things in your lives. And anybody is welcome to come. You'll be meeting at the gym, of course, using the teen room. It's already set up nice with chairs in there and everything. And uh, we'll have a good time together there. And the officer will be making a presentation. So you'll want to come to that. Later that day, you'll start to see some missionaries filtering into the buildings and setting up their tables and getting ready for our missions conference on Wednesday. Wednesday morning, we have a ladies' tea, and uh, Lord willing, Jennifer Holmes will be speaking. Uh, if she is not able to speak, uh, we have uh, Mrs. Buckingham will be here as well. Maybe we'll put her on the spot and have her share some of the things that she's going uh, through with uh, the cause of Christ and world missions right now. But right now, the plan, of course, is Jennifer Holmes, so please come. And then uh, Brother Buckingham would be preaching in the morning chapel to the boys, and the, or to the men, and, and to the school. So if you'd like to come, men, and be a part of that, you're more than welcome while your wives are in the tea. Come to the chapel and take part in the, in the chapel service. Uh, that'll be a blessing to you. Then we start Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Friday night, 7 o'clock. Then our missions dinner, 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Please, 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 if you're coming, fill out that little card that was in your bulletin and get that in to somebody today. All right, we need to know today how many are coming so that we can set up for all these things this week. All right, so lots going on. Please, please pray. Two years ago, uh, whatever for whatever reason, as soon as the missions conference was over, <clears throat> God burned my heart about having Brian Thiessen come in for last year's. I'm not sure why. I couldn't put my finger on it. But we, we were right after the missions conference began praying about next year and what are we going to do next year. And for some reason, while I was praying, Brian Teeson's name came to my mind and I couldn't get rid of it. I'd never heard him preach a missions conference. I'd never uh, heard him even preach a missions message, really. He was my friend. And I kept remembering what Dr. Gary Gray said in Bible college, if your friend can't do the job, don't ask him. And the tendency is, is we get our friends into the pulpit and guys we went to school with and such, and, and, and then they don't do the job. And so I was careful because I thought, boy, uh, Lord, uh, Brian's my friend. I, I, I don't never heard him preach missions stuff. I don't know, you know. And but the the, the burden was upon my heart, and then he came. And uh, I, I really believe that Brother Teeson did a wonderful job last year. I think it was just so well balanced, helped us, helped our church. But I also know it's because we prayed about that for a long, long time. And so we've been praying for Brother Logan. This year has no difference. It was last uh, time that he came uh, and spoke to our church that we went out to have something to eat. And during that meal, the Lord burdened my heart to ask him to come to our missions conference. And so I believe that our, our staff has been praying. We've been praying at deacons meetings and such. I hope you've been praying and will pray uh, for Brother Logan as he preaches throughout the week, for our missionaries as they present their ministries each service. And then on Sunday night, Brother Jacobs is going to preach. We're looking forward to hearing how God has burdened his heart as well. A veteran missionary, a veteran pastor, uh, he will have a, a good take 
on missions, and he has uh, been on the other side of the world in India, and so he'll give us a great perspective on, on what real missions is all about. And so you'll want to be as many of these services as you possibly can, all right? It'll be a help and a blessing to you. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. We're going to speak on a heart of love and immediately say, well, why Romans 12? You'll see in just a moment. Read with me the first verse. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray together. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. This morning, we, we spend just a little time in just a small corner of the scriptures that express your love for us. The truth is, is the Bible from the very first page to the very last completely expresses God's love to us day after day and page after page. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we look forward to the Redeemer the entire New Testament tells us about the Christ that died for us. Father, we praise you tonight and thank you for all that you've done. And we worship you for all that you are. Father, we pray that you'd help us now tonight to consider what we are to be as children of God. What kind of love we are to express to one another. What our love is to be like. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Speak to our hearts and move among us. May the Spirit of God speak to us. If if he doesn't pass by, we've met for in vain. So I surrender to you and ask that you would speak through me and help us tonight. <coughs> Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Read verse 1 with me again, if you will. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. <coughs> when I first went to Stony Creek back in 1994, Pastor Masker always used to say, when the scripture says, therefore, see what it's there for. As the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, Paul is begging us or beseeching us based on all these things that have already come to pass in the book of Romans. Well, think about that. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we read, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we are reminded that all things work together for good to them that are the called, the love God, and them that are the called according to his purpose. We are reminded later on, as we read this morning in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, uh, that what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us, neither peril nor distress. And we have these wonderful reminders of God's sacrifice, his love, and his will for our lives. Romans chapter 9, verse, chapter 9, 10, and 11 speak very explicitly about Israel and God's love for Israel. And now we get to verse chapter 12 and he says, I beseech you therefore, or because of all these things, I've expressed my love to you in verse chapters 8, and I've expressed my love to Israel's in chapter 9, 10, and 11, and I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I'm not begging you just because of the past, but I am beseeching you or begging you because of the mercies of God. In light of all that God has done for you, 
All the many miracles and all the many mercies and the grace that he's extended your way. Here's what I'm asking, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable means that it makes spiritual sense. It's just common sense for most people. If you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're walking in the spirit of God, these things just make sense. So let me illustrate. If you were to tell your neighbor and your unsaved neighbor, say, you know, listen, I, I believe that I can live on 90% better than you can live on 100% because I faithfully give a tithe to the Lord. That doesn't make any sense to them whatsoever, but it makes perfect sense to the child of God who's lived it. And it's reasonable to us. It makes spiritual sense. We understand that God is, is almighty and all-powerful and he can take care of any problem to the world. They, they don't understand that, but we have faith in a holy, almighty God. And so it's reasonable to think this way. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now in verse one, he asks us to be uh, sorry, in verse 2, he says, be not conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed. Christians to be different. He says, by the renewing of your mind. And then he begins in verses 3 through the end of the chapter to begin to describe some of the changes that should take place in the life of the believer. I want to focus just on a couple tonight. If you'll look down in verse 9, the Bible says... Let love be without dissimulation. Let love be without dissimulation. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, set the table for the rest of the chapter. The Apostle Paul is begging us to change. One of those things that he is being explicit about is our love for the brethren. He says in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. That, that word dissimulation means without hypocrisy. A sincere love, a genuine love, an unfeigned love. The world sometimes has a, expresses a love because they're expecting something in return. That's a hypocritical love. That's not an unfeigned love. That is a love that is not sincere. And God says, let our love be without simulation. Let, uh, let it be without hypocrisy. Let it be sincere. Let it be genuine. I want you to notice our first point tonight is that love, or Christian love, is to be genuine. You know, nobody likes fakes. Do you like fake things? I, I, used, to, I used to purchase things that, you know, I, I couldn't always afford the, the, the best thing or whatever, so I'd get the knockoff. You know what I learned about knockoffs? You end up buying three or four of those things when you could have bought one good one because they don't have the same quality. They don't have the same staying power. They don't last like the real thing will last. And cheap knockoffs, simply put, are annoying. They lack the quality and they lack endurance. They just don't last. And so they are really a, a bane to me. I, I just can't stand getting something cheap that breaks within a, a reasonably short time. And, and friends, nobody likes things that are fake. And we are to have a genuine love. Do you know that people know when we're genuine? They can see right through it. We've learned, especially through master clubs and bus ministry and things. Boy, those kids know if you love them. 
They know if you're being genuine with them. And they can see right through the heart that is not. I want you, if you will, to turn to 1 John chapter 3. I want to show you some points about genuine love. Genuine love. 1 John chapter 3 and 4. We were there a bit this morning. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 10 with me. First of all, I want you to notice that genuine love is commanded by God. Genuine love is commanded by God. Verse 10 says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love God one another. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto love life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Genuine love or sincere love is commanded by God. God commands you to love one another. God commands us to treat each other well. God, the word love here is the word agape, which means to seek the benefit or welfare of another. We are to, uh, there's, there's other loves in the Bible. There's Philadelphia, which is brotherly love, or the, we, we know from the city of Philadelphia, it's the city of brotherly love, and Philadelphia means a brotherly love. There's, there's an eros love, or an erotic love, and, and that's a different type of love that, that, that is uh, more of, uh, for a husband and a wife. But we have this agape love, which literally means to seek the welfare of another, or to put their needs before ours. And God says, this is the kind of love, and if we don't exhibit this kind of love for the brethren, then we abideth in death. We truly don't have Christ. It is a mark of our love. Genuine love is commanded by God. Secondly, genuine love shows the compassion of God. Genuine love shows the compassion. I want to make sure I've got a genuine love. Then check off these little boxes with me tonight if you would. The first one is, is understand that it's commanded of God. We are to be obedient in our love. Secondly, genuine love shows the compassion of God of God. The compassion of God. Look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's compassion. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, if you want to check your heart tonight and see, do I really have a genuine love? Well, first of all, we understand that it is commanded of God, but genuine love shows forth the compassion of God. Do you have compassion on others? What do you think of when you see unsaved people? That's a soul that is bound for heaven or hell. Every every person that we come in contact on the streets and those that have needs among us, are, are we having compassion on them? Are we reaching out to them? You know, it hurt me a couple years ago when somebody, I won't tell you who, and they're not here tonight, and, and uh, we were working on a project 
as a church family. As a matter of fact, it was one that Brother Roberts had come to me about, and he says, we'd like to do this project. Would that be okay? And I said, that's a wonderful thing. Can the church get involved? And he said, sure. And we were all kind of getting involved in that. And uh, somebody came to me and said, well, I, I don't think we should do that because what happened in this situation just wasn't right. And I thought, we're just, and I, my answer was, we're just trying to show compassion. Do you know this? It is never wrong to be kind. It is never wrong to be kind, ever. I had a lady call me one time, Mrs. Sanchez, and Mrs. Sanchez had, was driving her car to church one time, and she was picking up somebody for church downtown in Hamilton. She'd come all the way around the bay from Burlington, and she was picking up this, uh, this, this young co- family from, for church, and she, they, she pulled over, and they were coming towards the car, and while they were coming towards the car, this fellow by the name of Moses jumped in her car, and he said, Good morning! And she kind of looked at him, and Moses was from Kenya, and she was a little nervous, and she thought, what's going on here? Am I getting hijacked? And he said, and he looked, and he saw the look on her face, and he said, you're my ride to church, aren't you? They told me to stand out on the sidewalk, and the ride would come for me for church. And she said, well, I'm not the person who contacted you, but I'm going to church, and you're welcome to come. And so he came. And Moses, I found out, his brother was a pastor of a Baptist church in Kenya, and Moses soon became a member of our church. Now he's one of Brother Eagle's deacons, and, and we've, we were able to immigrate his family over, you know, and what a wonderful story. But along the way, after about three months of Mrs. Sanchez picking her up, and she had a family at home, she had a mentally handicapped daughter that was about 45 years old and, and living there, and she says, you know, pastor, she says, It breaks my heart. Now understand, Mrs. Sanchez was a lady well in her 70s, and there was no impropriety here whatsoever. This young man was just in his 20s. She says, it breaks my heart. He looks so sad every night I drop him off. And she says, he's working on bringing his family over, and he has to rent this place. It's hard for him to get money put away. She says, and he sits in my car, and he visits with Vicky and I for an hour after we stop. She says, Would it be wrong to offer him a place to live? I have a little apartment in my basement. He could live there. She said, I I don't want people in the church thinking anything. She says, I'm I'm 75 years old and he's 25 years old. She says, I'm like a grandma to him. She says, do you think anybody would think that was wrong? And I said, well, I said, let me pray about it a couple days. She just wanted some advice. And I prayed about a couple days and I called her back and I said, here's my answer. And everybody called her Mama Fran. I said, here's my answer, Mama Fran. I said, it's never wrong to be kind. Moses moved in, and she brought that whole family over. What a blessing. What a blessing. We, we need to exercise that kind of love, where it's sincere in showing the compassion of Christ. Genuine love is commanded by God. Genuine love shows the compassion of God. Here's the third check mark. In 1 John chapter 4, if you just look forward to page, genuine love is cultivated by God. Genuine love is cultivated by God. It's unfortunate in the worldly, carnal society that we live in today, there are, there are some men out there that are great philanthropists, and there are genuinely some good people, but for the most part, we are very inward. And if we're truly going to have a heart that God has, it has to be put there by God. It has to be a regenerate heart that God has given us and placed within us and gives us this compassion. The Bible says in Romans, uh, 1 John chapter 4, and look with me in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. That word me of means that's where it has its origins. 
That's where it came from. Love is of God. And the Bible says, if you read on, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Listen, if you want to take your love uh, to the world to a whole new level, then you need to draw closer to Christ. Because God places that love in our hearts. And he gives us a compassion for others. And it cultivates that love in our hearts. Genuine love is cultivated by God. And I want you to see, fourthly, genuine love is captured by God. When I say captured, I mean it is modeled for us. If you were to take a snapshot of God, what you would capture is perfect love. One day we were on, in Springfield, Missouri, I was in Bible college. And we were door knocking on Commercial Street. Commercial Street was the old original downtown of Springfield, Missouri. And when, when I say old, I don't mean like Simcoe downtown old. I mean... Uh, downtown Springfield is where Frank and Jesse James got shot to death. I mean, that kind of old, 200 years old. And so it was run down, dilapidated, and at times dangerous. And that's where that shelter was that I told you about, that once in a while we got to go and preach in that men's shelter, and one of the churches in town had that, and they'd get preacher boys from the college, and we'd preach there to the men, and I got there one night with a fellow by the name of Doug, and we were to preach at that chapel, and, and uh, he said, listen, he says, we're actually real early. He says, I didn't realize how early we were. We just got done working at the cafeteria, and we went over right away. I thought we better get over there, and we realized we were about an hour and a half early for the service. He says, why don't we just kind of go up here? There's lots of apartments above, and we'll knock on some doors. And Doug and I went to the same church and, at the time, and, and so... We thought, well, sure, we'll just go door knocking for our church. And so we started, we started door knocking, and we walked by a thrift store. And in the thrift store window, there was a picture of Jesus Christ or a painting of somebody depicting Jesus Christ. And we stopped, and we were just kind of looking at it for a second, and I, I didn't think a whole lot of it. I'd seen lots of paintings, and you've all seen lots of paintings of Jesus Christ or what people think he looks like. And I, and I saw, we just kind of stopped, and we were looking at it for a minute, and I thought, okay. And I, I started walking up to the next door, and there was doors in between the stores, and you could go in there, and if you went up a flight of stairs, there'd be three or four apartments on each side. And so I started walking, and I went to turn into the next door, and I looked back, and Doug was still there. And I, I said, Doug, what's wrong? He says, something's bothering me about this picture. I said, what is it? He says, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. He said, but I just, I don't know. He says, he says, I've seen lots of pictures like this, lots of paintings, lots of portrayals of Christ, but for some reason, this one has just stopped me in my tracks and it's bothering me. He says, he says, I don't know what it feels like to have an evil spirit, but he says, it just feels like there's a bad spirit. I don't like it. I said, well, then you better get out of there. So he says, yeah, and we continued on, and we knocked on some more doors, and we crossed the street, and we went down, and as we were getting across, he looked at it, and he says, come with me. And we walked over there, and he, he says, I know what it is. He says, look at Jesus. He says, the painter never portrayed any love whatsoever. He looks angry. He looks like he's ready to lash out at those that had put the crown of thorns. He had a crown of thorns and blood dripping down. He says, it looks like he's about to lash out at them and tear them to pieces. He says, there's no love there. And he says, that's what's been bothering me. And he says, I've been walking around thinking about it. 
And he says, God's reminded me that, that he really is love. And that Christ on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To have the love of Christ, it's, it, we, we can look at the, the picture of Christ and we can look in the word of God and it is captured perfectly in Christ Jesus. Look at the Bible, it says, if you'll notice in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, in this was manifested. That means shown forth. That means captured. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If we are gonna have genuine love, we need to go back to those old photo albums every once in a while called the word of God and we need to look at the snapshots that are placed in there of God's love. And in verse John, chapter 4, John gives us that little snapshot, doesn't he? God sent his only begotten son in the world that we through him might live. That's what Christ came for, to die for our sins. If you want to have genuine love, just take a look at Christ. And the Bible says that we, in Romans chapter 8, we are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that if we, uh, right now we behold in, as in a dark, uh, as in a glass darkly. But in one day, I, I'm trying to remember the verse. I'm trying to paraphrase here. And he says, but one day we will look at it, into that glass as if we see him face to face and slowly will be transformed into his image. Listen, the more you look into God's word, the more you become like Christ. And, it, and the love and genuine love is captured in Christ. Love is to be genuine. Turn back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we see that love is to be genuine. The Bible says, let love be without dissimulation. We notice that it dispels the notion of hypocrisy in the rest of that verse when he says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Those are direct contrasts one to another. But in chapter 12 and verse 10, we see the second thing, love is to be gracious. Love is to be gracious. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Brotherly love is that word Philadelphia. We'd have brotherly love one to another. But that phrase, be kindly affectioned to, means to be reciprocal. We're to show affection one to another. Be kindly affectioned one to another. It's a reciprocal love. You know, a family, a true family, love cannot be one-sided. There has to be a mutual love in order to dwell together in unity. You know, Satan loves attacking the family today. Wouldn't you say that that's one of his number one targets? It seems like for so many thousands of years he persecuted the church, but now if he can persecute the family, there'd be no families to make up a church. And so he's just, same, same attack, just a different focus. He's attacking the family today, and as the family becomes dysfunctional, we no longer serve as the proper example of how Christ's love is supposed to function. There's supposed to be a reciprocal love. The Bible gives us the definition of there. It says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. How? In honor preferring one another. In other words, always putting the other person first. Always making sure that somebody else 
has enough to eat, always making sure that the other is warm, always making sure that their needs are taken care of. And the Bible gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we can turn there, gives us a pattern of how we are to prefer one another. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we call this the love chapter. I shared some of these things at Austin and Cindy's wedding during the message portion. I always say this, nobody ever listens to the message at a wedding. We all know that's true, let's be honest. Everybody's like, oh, look how beautiful the bride is, and look at the flowers, and oh, oh, the preacher's here, oh, okay. And uh, we know that's not the purpose of what you're, you're here to, but I shared some of these thoughts, and you might remember some of them, but it gives us a pattern how we are to prefer one another. The Bible says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long. The first thing is this, love is patient. Love is patient. We talked about having a genuine love, but we're talking about now having a gracious love. Love is patient. That word long-suffering literally means to suffer long. Verse 7 says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. To be patient is to bear much. It is to suffer long. If we truly love one another, we'll be gracious and we'll be patient with one another. How many of you understand that patience is one of the most difficult things to attain? You know, I heard somebody say the other day, I'd, I'd be patient, but I don't have time to wait for patience. And that's about how most of us react, isn't it? I, I'd be more patient if I had time. But the truth is, is we need to be more patient with one another. We need to be gracious. That's how we express a gracious love. Verse 4 also teaches us that love is not proud. Love is not proud. It says this, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Do you know that envy is the root of pride? Or sorry, let me rephrase that. Envy is rooted in pride. There's a difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy says, I, I, you know, I just don't like that Brother Paul was able to go and get that brand new blue pinstripe suit. Man, I like that. And I wish I could dress as sharp as he and look as good as he does. That's jealousy. Envy says, when he's not looking, I'm going to tear the pocket off that suit. If I can't have it, he can't have it either. That's what envy is. Uh, that's, that's what it is. Jealousy says, I, I'm, I'm jealous, I wish I had that. Envy says, if I can't have it, they can't have it either. It's pride. It's pride. We are to content, be content with what God has given us. And if we truly are loving and we are truly gonna be gracious in our love, we will not be proud. The Bible says in verse four again, charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. That phrase, vaunteth not itself, is the practice of not making others feel less than they are. You ever met somebody that all they want to do is puff themselves up, vaunteth themselves by putting others down? 
This morning on the way home from church, I, I, I told you I'm kind of a, a political junkie a little bit. And so when the Canadian election was on, I was watching all that very carefully. And the American election's on. It affects us a lot. I was watching that a little bit last night. And I was getting disappointed by the guys were just going after each other's throats. Some of them claimed to be Christians and just tearing each other apart. And uh, John Kasich, who is the governor of Ohio, he stood up and he said, guys, he said, we don't care tearing each other apart. Hillary's going to win this election. He says, we're just destroying ourselves by hating each other. We're supposed to have a common goal. And he began talking. On the way home today, I, I turned on the radio station and John Kasich was on the radio. And they asked him about that on the news. And I, and I listened carefully as he said, you know, he says, if our product's so good, why do we have to put everybody else's down? I thought, that's a good principle. We don't have to put everybody else down to vaunt ourselves. True love is not uh, pushy. It does not vaunt not itself. It, it doesn't try to make, push ourselves ahead by making others feel less. Verse 5, love is proper. Love is proper. Look what the Bible says in verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly. I looked up what that meant. It means to embarrass another. To embarrass another. You know, you're not, fellas, you're not going to make fun of certain things that you know are touchy. You know, I, I like to have a good time. My wife and I, we pick on each other and we tease each other. And, but if I ever knew it hurt her feelings, I'd never do it. You know, somebody came to me one time years ago, Donna Marshall's in our church. And Donna was just, Donna's just a sweet, sweet lady. Brother Foreman, you here? Where's Brother Foreman? Donna, yeah. You know Donna Marshall? Sweetest lady that ever lived? Great lady. And uh, she just went through so much. She got married when she was 16, had five kids by the time she was 21, then her husband died. He had, uh, had a scarlet fever as a child and it damaged his heart and they didn't know. And here he was, he was 25 years old and he was in a hospital and they got him all settled down, got him settled in and his wife got home from the hospital. She called and she says, how are you doing? He goes, I don't know. They left the window open in here. And he says, I think I got pneumonia. By the time she got back to the hospital to get the window shut, they had cracked his chest open and were trying to revive him. He was gone at 25 years old. Left with five children and she was only 21. She had a tough life. But man, she loved the Lord. I remember that one time she came to me. She was a Sunday school teacher. She came to me one morning after a morning service. She says, Pastor, she says, I'm not saved. She says, I've been teaching Sunday school for years, and I've been doing this for years, and I've been coming to church for years, and I'm not saved. And we got down at the altar, and we opened the Bible. And I said, you know what all this says, Don. She goes, I do, and I'm ready. I need to be saved. And she prayed and asked Christ to save her, and she says, I need to get baptized tonight. I said, all right, we'll get the tank in here. And we had a portable tank that we borrowed from Brother Teeson and we carried it in there and we filled it with hot water till the hot water tank was empty and then we put a bucket heater in there and filled the rest with cold, hoping it would be warm enough for her. She came out of that baptistry tank and went, praise the Lord, had her arms up in the air. She was so excited to give her testimony for Jesus Christ. What a great lady, we loved her. She came to me one day or, I'm sorry, and I, I, her son came to me one day, and I used to tease her. I liked teasing her, and she teased me right back. I mean, in church one time, I said to her, I, we were mentioning birthdays, and I said, and happy birthday, Mrs. Marshall. 
And she says, it's not my birthday. I said, oh, I'm sorry, you were looking older. And she loved it. And she'd come back, she'd pick right back at me, and we had a great time. Her son came to me. Pastor, mom doesn't like it when you pick on her. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I said, she, she would reciprocate. She'd pick on me twice as much as I ever picked on her. I said, I didn't know. And I, I felt terrible. And I, I drove right over to her house. I said, Mrs. Marshall, I am so sorry. And she says, what? I said, I am so sorry. I said, I, I never knew that picking on... She says, who told you that? And I said, I'm sorry. I said, if somebody shared your secret, I, I said, I just want to be right. She goes, I, I mean, it doesn't... I love it. She says, if you quit picking on me, I'll think you're mad at me. She says, you keep it coming, but you know I'm going to give it back. I said, that's fine. She said, oh, I love it. She says, you're like my son. And she hugged me and we had a good time. The problem was, is somebody else had a pride problem. It wasn't her. It was her son. And it bothered him. So I went, I sat with him. And I said, listen, I, I, I talked to your mom. And I said, I, said, I, I don't want to be unseemly. That's what this word means. I don't want to embarrass your family. And if it bothers you, I'll stop. I said, but we've talked and she actually encourages me to keep picking on her. And he said, pastor, it is my problem. It was bothering him. And so I said, I'll never do it publicly. I'll just do it with her privately. And he thanked me. See, love is proper. It doesn't behave unseemly. Number Five, love is not easily provoked. Look at verse five. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Is not easily provoked. You know, if you truly love somebody, you're not going to get all up in arms so easily. I quoted this verse this morning, great peace have they which love thy law in nothing shall offend thee. You know, what, what has happened to our society? Everything is so politically correct today. What comes out of our mouth, somebody thinks is trying to misinterpret it and change it and twist it. Listen, friend, just go out and speak the truth. Speak the truth. Jesus Christ wasn't politically correct. It got him in a lot of trouble, but he wasn't politically correct. Instead, he told the truth. The Bible says that we are to behave a certain way and if we love like we ought to love and we understand what love is, we're not going to be easily provoked. Love is not prone to think evil. Look at verse 5. At the end it says, thinketh no evil. Verse 6. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Love is not prone to think evil. That means it does not store up the wrongs. Can I encourage you in something, friends? If you, if you say, I want to have a gracious love like Christ had, when you forgive somebody, you've got to let it go. You can't store it up. Because once they're forgiven, they're free. And if you're going to store it up, the only person you're hurting is you. That's not the love of Christ. The love of Christ is a gracious love, and it's not uh, prone to think evil. Verse 7, love is positive. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Some are always looking for the negative, aren't they? That's not a gracious love. Look for the positive. Look for the positive. 
Encourage. You know these bus kids that come in? Man, you know some of them come from some pretty rough backgrounds? Some pretty tough homes? Look for the positive in them. Years ago, how many of you remember Stuart Foy? Does anybody remember that name? Stuart was a college student here at Baptist Bible College back in the 80s, and we became friends. And Stuart was from Wingham, Ontario, and they had a little van route, and he was working on this van. And This little boy got on his bus one day, and he was, his brother Andrew was telling me this story. This little boy got on the bus, and this boy came from a bad neighborhood, and it was a dirty home, and just the boy came in, and he was never clean. And the kid got on the bus, and he proudly proclaimed. I guess he didn't know what, he was only four or five years old. He didn't know what to think. He says, hey, I got lice. And, you know, poor Stuart's looking at him. <laughs> the kid's got lice. He said it was so bad there were bites all down his neck. The poor kid was just sore from it. That little guy got on the bus and, Mr. Stewart, can I sit with you? He says, sure you can. The little guy got poked fun at by another kid because of the sores on his neck. And Stewart picked him up and put him on his lap. And Andrew, Andrew's telling me this about his big brother. And he says, in tears, he says, my brother loved that kid. It didn't matter if he had lice. It didn't matter that Stewart was likely going to have to go home and get rid of lice himself. He just loved that kid that day. And he was proud of his brother for it. Love is positive. A lot of people say, no, you sit over there. I'll talk to you, but you, you stay six feet away from me. I don't want to catch that. But for that day, Stuart hoped for the best and loved that kid. Love is positive. Verse 7, love is persistent, endureth all things. We live in a society today that throws marriages away. The Bible says that true, gracious love of Christ will endure a lot. Matter of fact, it endures all things. We ought to understand that when we take our vows today, friends, it is not something we are planning on throwing away. It's not something that we say, well, you know what, I'll get married. If it doesn't work out, I can, I can divorce in a few years. That's foolish. Love endureth all things. But you don't know what I put up with. But I know what Christ put up with with us. And he still endures. Love endureth all things. A gracious love. Let me recap these very quickly. Love is patient. Love is not proud. Love is not pushy. Love is proper. Love is not easily provoked. Love is not prone to think evil. Love is positive and love is persistent. Turn back to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> love is to be genuine. Love is to be gracious. And finally tonight in Romans chapter 12 in verse 13, we learn that love is to be giving. Love is to be giving. The context is the same. And he says in verse 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them to do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not the things be, that condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Notice verse 13. As we think about love is to be giving. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Given to hospitality. The words distributing and hospitality are action words. 
We are to distribute to the necessity of the saints, but the word hospitality is speaking about entertaining strangers. That means everybody, doesn't it? Love is to be giving to everybody. If we were to distribute to the saints and to be entertaining to strangers, that's everyone. We are to love them. Love is to be giving. It is more than simply saying, well, I'll pray for you. But it is demonstrating love through good works towards another. Here's how we can give three things and we're done. Look at verse 14. First of all, you can give through encouragement. The Bible says, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Try to encourage those that persecute you. Try to be a help. Try to be kind. Try to reach out. Encourage to be a blessing to somebody. Secondly, we give through encouragement, we give through exhortation. Look at verse 15, verse 8. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. That word rejoice means to cheer someone on. To encourage them to keep going in the right path. Let them know what they are doing is worth rejoicing over. By joining with them. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Exhort them. Encourage them to keep going. Now there's a, there's a thousand different ways. I'm going to give you three things very quickly. There's a thousand different ways that we can encourage somebody. And there's a thousand more different ways we can exhort somebody. Uh, you can think about these things for yourself and say, how can I encourage somebody tonight? How can I exhort somebody to keep going? You could take them out for a coffee. You could have them in your home. There's something you can do. To reach out to people. Thirdly, we can give through encouragement, we give through exhortation, but look at the last thing, we can give through empathy. This last part of verse 15 says, weep with them that weep. Come alongside somebody when they're hurting and weep with them. That's empathy. You know, I think sometimes people have a special gift because of circumstances in their life. I don't know why, maybe it was Ruth or maybe it was Casey or somebody, I don't know who it was. But I noticed, I was looking at my wife's Facebook the other night and I noticed that there was a picture of Casey right after her surgery three years ago to take her leg. And there was a picture there with her, with Virginia Harris, who had driven to the hospital in Hamilton from Welland just to encourage Casey. I don't know if she knew Casey that well. I know Cindy had gone to their church on a missions trip. I don't know if Casey was old enough at that time. I, maybe she was. But even then, she only met her for that week. I don't know how close they were, what kind of friends they were. But Mrs. Harris thought, you know what? I lost a leg in that tragic accident. Maybe this is why God allowed that. That I can go and have empathy with her. And I can get beside her bed and I can pray with her and I can weep with her and I can encourage her in some way. When God allows you to go through something, use it to be a help to somebody else. A few years ago, Pastor Tarango in St. Catharines put out an email to several pastors all across Canada, and he said, "Listen, he says, "We have a family in our church that's, that's been recommended by their doctor to abort their baby." He says, it's, it's, it's one of those things where the mom is very sick and, and she's kind of on bed rest. They're, they're about halfway through this pregnancy and the doctor says, you know what, this is, this is a very high-risk pregnancy and chances are you're going to lose the baby anyway and it's making you sick. Why don't you just abort this baby and be done with all of this? 
There's a good chance that the baby has some sort of problem and that's why you're having all these sickness and all these things. And they said, well, can we have an ultrasound? Can we do the amniocentesis? Can we find out if there really is a problem? And then they did those tests and they said, they're kind of inconclusive. We didn't really find anything wrong, but there's something causing this problem with you and your health could deteriorate even worse. Would you abort this baby? Pastor Tarangel said, is there anybody out there that would have an experience similar to this and could encourage this family. So I wrote a letter to the man because the doctor told us, Bethany has no brain. Her head is caved in and there's no brain. He said, there's not an amniotic fluid to bring this baby to term. And even if she is born without a brain, she only has a brain stem and she'll only live for a few hours and she'll die. And furthermore, this baby is likely to die before birth and cause you great health problems. Why don't you just abort? But my wife delivered a healthy baby girl simply because we trusted him. And so I wrote that down and sent it to them. I never heard. You said, did they keep the, I don't know, I never did hear. But I wondered, did God allow us to go through that? It was just a mistake, to be honest with you. We went and got a second opinion. We went to a different ultrasound clinic and we got another ultrasound done and, and the technician said, uh, I'm not allowed to say anything. I'm not allowed to diagnose. They said, um, um, so, because we started asking questions. They said, well, listen, they said, we told us that the baby has no brain, that the head's caved in. And she says, I'm not allowed to say anything. But she circled the head and she goes, that, that looks like a perfect circle to me. She was letting us off the hook. She knew we were grieving. And I said, well, uh, they also said there's not enough amniotic fluid to carry the baby to term. And she, she says, look at all that amniotic fluid. She wouldn't say it was good or bad, but she wanted to let us know that things were okay. The third thing they said is there's no heartbeat that the baby had already died. And I, as a, our fourth child, I'd heard the heartbeat. And I knew. And they said, oh, no, you heard the mother's heartbeat. And I thought, my, my wife's heartbeat's not going 140 beats a minute. I know that's a baby's heartbeat. And I said, they also said the baby's heartbeat is in there. And she turned the volume up as loud as she could in that little room. She goes, boy, that sounds strong, doesn't it? She never said it was the heartbeat, but we knew. Listen, God puts some things in our lives that we can be a help to other people. And we can express the love of Christ through encouragement, through exhortation, and through empathy. Weep with them that weep. Turn back to Romans chapter 12 very quickly. Just back your page, just back to verse 9, and let's read this again very quickly. Let love be without dissimulation. Love is to be genuine. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Love is to be gracious, kindly affection. And look at this last verse, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Love is to be giving. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for the love of God that this morning the Bible told us it passes our understanding. But Lord, we are to take that love and express it to a lost and dying world. We are to express it to the brethren as well. So help us to take the word of God tonight and apply it to our lives. Speak to our hearts, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand tonight as the invitation begins to play. If God has spoken to your heart, would you step out and come? And let me ask you this. Are we world-class at loving other people? Christians ought to have more love than anybody else. Let's pray and ask God to grow our love, to strengthen us in the things of Christ. Let's take a moment and pray.